0: We've got more Indigenous people in Parliament We've got more, and in fact the next election there's heaps of Indigenous people who are running for Parliament within the, the, national, uh, the Liberal Nationals and, and, the, and the Labor Party, the Greens and so on. Ever than ever we had, and, sat in, and I, every time I go down to Canberra, you know, I go down there just to annoy the politicians every now and again. is I'm, I'm tripping over Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders, all down there knocking on doors, talking to people just like the rest of Australia are doing. So this idea that Aboriginal people don't have a say or don't uh, 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 not listen to, uh, I just, I find it pretty bizarre.
1: Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Jonathan Astro and with me is Ricky Alpine. Hello there. Ricky, uh, good news today. Um, people don't have to hear our ideas as much. <laughs> yes. Like I know that's what people want. <laughs> but in case they don't we have an interview
2: we do we have a great interview with the one and only Warren Mundine
1: I'm really looking forward to it you know that's why I really want uh this show to be uh you know informative and uh and for us uh, first and foremost, and and I certainly am learning a lot from, from the guests we've had on so far.
2: Yeah, well, I'm excited about today because uh, I I believe I don't know enough about Indigenous issues. Uh, I probably should know a little bit more, but um, yeah, I'm just uh, interested to learn, learn more today.
1: Well, uh, and with that in mind, on with the show. With us today, we have Warren Mundine, a member of the Bundjalung people, the traditional owners of much of the coastal northern New South Wales He's also a descendant of the Goombanga, Yuin, and Irish peoples on his mother's side, recipient of the Order of Australia, former National President of the uh, Australian Labour Party, Chairman of the Coalition Government's Indigenous Advisory Council. He's a businessman, writer, media commentator, political strategist, self-described introvert and unashamed capitalist. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a
0: wrap there, Warren. Oh, mate, we just run out of time. The show's over, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for making time for us, Warren. I I need to start by asking you, uh, do you ever get a little tired of having to explain Indigenous culture to ignorant honkies like us?
0: Ah. Uh, oh, it does exhaust you sometimes. Uh, uh, yeah. But, you know, I've gotten used to it now. It's uh, It's not so much of a so much of a problem, uh, but uh, yeah, and the good news is that most people these days, not most people, I don't get it as much as I used to when I, over the years.
1: Yeah. Well, I got it uh, when I was reading your book, it occurred to me that every second person you seem to encounter would say, oh, I don't really know much about Indigenous issues. Like they'd sort of preface every conversation, like even Prime Ministers, who I would have thought, very educated ones.
0: Yeah, well, I, I was actually surprised about that. And also, another frustration for me was, uh, you know, especially with ex-politicians and prime ministers and ministers, was that and you know premiers as well. that They always used to say to me, "Gee, I, you know, I wish I could have done more when I was in when I was in power." And I, and I said, "Well, you were in power. You just should have done it."
2: <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. So true. Well, Warren, listen, we We'd like to spend a lot of time today speaking about grassroots level issues uh and, and very practical things as well um however i think we should probably address a couple of conceptual things first if we can and as they say go big or go home um so what is your perspective on blm uh the movement uh and the organization as it stands in 2022
0: uh look in australia I've, i they've latched on to the uh black deaths in custody uh issues in and they in the uh, it's, the movement over here is more of a very left-wing movement uh is and i think the organizer is a member of the communist party which i didn't even think ever existed in australia anymore <laughs> but uh anyway you, you learn something new every year uh the um uh, so my concern about it is because i i chaired the uh the uh, in south australia with jay Weverall government when well, the labor government 2016. uh the uh inquiry into uh, adult prisons and reoffending how we could stop reoffending because they made up 70% of cr- overall crime so it wasn't a particular focus on the indigenous it was a focus on on, uh, on just on crime and prison and reoffending I was really um uh, when we got into it we, we looked at the statistics because you got you just can't just you can't ignore that because the, a large percentage of aboriginals are in jasa and it also couldn't ignore juvenile detention centers either so we had to look at that in the in the number of jurisdictions across australia and also the uh, uk and and uh, new zealand um canada and the united states uh, before people start thinking that we just had jet setting around we actually did it <laughs> we did it by zoom and computers but anyway the um we much as i would have actually loved to go on jet setting right and, and it was just the the rhetoric didn't add up uh, and and it wasn't reflected in the research that we come across and in that most people who uh, you know, uh who were in listed under the uh, black deaths in custody died of natural causes they had heart attacks you know they died of old age they were just unfortunate that were in jail for a while and the other ones were uh, you know murders you know by other prisoners that were in the cells with them uh drugs you know, drugs were pretty easy to get into the, the uh uh, juvenile detention and adult prisons, uh, but also that the definition was very spread wide across. So, for instance, if the police came over and said that, that they wanted to arrest you, then you ran away and you got hit by a car, that was deemed a black def in custody. Uh, and uh, and and there were a wide range of other things as well. So when you went, went through it, it was only a very small percentage of people. Because and a friend said to bring up and said, "Is this true? The, all these correctional officers?" police are killing them and I said no It's, it's it, there are some and I could probably could run five of them off the top of my head where I believe they were uh, killed by the or, or by the, the the police or the correctional service officers or it was the process in charge and a Mr, a Mr. Ward case is a good example where they uh, put him in the back of a correctional van and was taking him from the prison across the, the desert in, in the gold fields down to the so a 4 hour drive down to the the court and uh and of course in that 4 hour drive the air conditioning broke down and he actually got roasted and got cooked mm. in the back of the van case. it's dreadful. it's a shocking case when you think about it. uh so uh there was no deliberate murder or by well, the correction officers it was just complete idiocy when you think about the, that that this is the process of they transported people across the uh, you know a huge desert so anyway the, that was a shocking um, what happened to him but at the same time it, it has now totally changed how prisoners are, are transported these days they uh, in fact every 30 seconds they' got to check on the prisoner
2: hmm. yeah right well I think there is a uh, there is this public perception that yeah any death in custody is some sort of a, uh, a, a you know a, a George Floyd esque uh uh death you know murder essentially um and that's the same in the u.s too where you where you where uh, people just aren't aware of the statistics the actual amounts of 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 uh yeah uh, black people that are getting killed by by police officers is actually very very small
0: no it is very small uh but but there also also is a is is a difference between the united states and australia and that and i always wondered when police pulled you up over there they, they had you know, they were very, very cautious, and a good reason about that is because of gun laws in the United States. You're pulling someone up, you don't know whether they're going to pull a gun on you, and that's why the police are a bit more, uh, you know, careful and more reaction reactive in that situation. While in Australia, you you know, not that it happens very often, I'm a very good driver, but when I
2: get pulled <laughs> over, uh,
0: they uh, they you know, the, the police officer will just walk up to the car and say, "You
2: know, show us your license." You know. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to be worried that you've got a shotgun hidden somewhere. Yeah, yeah. That's right.
1: But I wonder, uh, you know, from your perspective, you know, you have seen uh, some in, in incredible uh, changes in in society over over your time, and you go through that beautifully in your book. And I just wonder, from your perspective, someone you tell a a terrible story of when you were a kid watching your father be be strip searched or, or humiliated by a couple of cops which is possibly one of the most terrible things I, I mean I was I read that and I was busted up like I just couldn't I just couldn't imagine something so terrible and from your perspective like you know having seen that in practice you know does it some of the more fervent claims of of, of an outfit like BLM not 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 the sentiment the out the organization uh and and some of the the more extreme activists doesn't does you know what's your perspective on that having actually seen real uh frontline racism you know
0: yeah and and look uh, thanks for that it was uh, you know quite i didn't realize how it really affected me until i was doing a a, a radio abc drive time on the on the book and, and he mentioned the same thing as you and uh Gee, I'm getting a bit teary now uh, it was uh, it was I uh, I actually broke down I couldn't even talk for about a minute and and Richard was uh, the radiator I um, was a very good because he, he sort of then ca- talked about the book and carried on until yes. I was able to uh, uh, get Control of myself. Uh, look, I've seen a lot of those things. The first 13 years of my life, I lived under the Aboriginal uh, Protection Act in New South Wales. Each state had their own protection acts. So some of them were called the Protection Act. Some was under other names. And these these uh, acts didn't disappear until about 1969 and 1970. So even post uh, the 67 referendum, uh, but they're they're gone. You know, and and there's no law in Australia I could actually. Put point to today which is discriminatory in fact i can point to a lot of laws that that really are, are anti-discriminative and so uh, and also uh, i remember john moriarty and and um uh, charles perkins coming to our town and, and and these folks were this is the early 60s and and that they, they were Their parents were sort of talking in hushed voices oh these, these these people these the aboriginal people that but they're in they've been to university and us as kids, we didn't have a friggin' clue what that, what, what's university, but we must, we thought it must be very important because the way our parents were talking about it. Well, today, you know, we've got 16,000, you know, Aboriginals currently studying in universities, probably a bit more, probably 17,000. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we could have a lot more in there. We've still got a lot more to go. But that was from when my up until I was about. 12 13 years of age we didn't even know what universities were and here you've got all these people studying and people you talk to aboriginal people today they they almost take it as as normal you you can go to university you know we've got something like 600 doctors now and uh we need a lot more That again but at least in my time there's the idea of actually having the aboriginal doctor we thought that'll never happen in our lifetime and uh and then you have well i always get in trouble when i say this because my wife's a lawyer uh you know it's, it's and i uh, hope you two aren't lawyers because i always have this little joke where i go yeah well and then we have you know about 700 lawyers as well but we don't know if that improved civilization and uh then we have um you know we've had judges and magistrates you know we've got professors of medicine and. And, and amazing professors in education and other areas. So, to, so when people tell me that you know things have got worse or they or they got you know times haven't changed, I said, well, you know, let me jump in a little you know time machine and I'll take you back when I was a six-year-old kid in
1: Grafton. Well, that you've you've beautifully led us into the next next the final conceptual thing before we get down to the nuts and bolts. Uh, you brought up university, so another big one: critical race theory. Uh, one, once discussed only in obscure electives at university. Uh, so I'll just give you some, Just a, let's just remind our listeners, uh, we'll go by what one of the proponents Richard Delgado says, he describes it as, uh, CRT uh, is a collection of activists and scholars engaged in studying and transforming the relationship among race, racism and power, unlike traditional civil rights discourse which stresses incrementalism and step-by-step progress, Critical race theory questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, Enlightenment rationalism, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So, in short, it's it sees power. And privilege. <laughs>
0: that's the short version. Eh? <laughs> well,
1: that's the long one. So, basically, this is me now. In short, I'm saying it's, it's 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 it sees power and privilege as being central to our experience, and that racism is the natural state of the world. So so what's your... We don't have to spend too much time on this, but we need to perhaps get your view on CRT and... and- oh, look,
0: look it, to me, I'm not a, a supporter of CRT. Uh, it, it, this idea, some of the ideas that come out of it... See, like the Civil Rights Movement was about uh, it was about equality. It was about uh, uh, getting rid of all these race laws and, and people being treated... Treated the same. So, if, you, if no matter what your colour was, if you went for a job and you had the qualification for that job, then you sh- and you're the best candidate, then you got the job. Or, yeah, you know, kids. You know, when I was a, a young uh, kid. Uh, a lot of Aboriginal people weren't allowed to go to public schools. This is why a lot of Aboriginal went to Catholic schools. The Catholic schools opened up them because we, uh, the laws were in place that stopped us from doing these things. These don't exist anymore. And it was a way in the, like, for instance, in the United States, there's one thing I, I like to talk about, is it's about, you know, people say, oh, we've got to restructure society and all that. In actual fact, the Civil Rights Movement was very clever. They went and took the, the uh, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence, and, said, Look, and these are not the, the, the right words now, but this is what it was saying, is that, that all men were created equal. Under God, and the, and so they, so the, you know, it wasn't hard for the slave anti-slave movement and the civil rights movement to turn it around and say, well, they're your words, why aren't you doing that? And so it was sort of, oh, so sort of like uh, it, it was a dream, really. to say this is a vision. This, okay, we we here we are in the middle of slavery, globally, and everyone thinks the United States only with the only people that had slaves, but it was everywhere. And they th- and 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 they. Men and it was men sat down and they and said, "No, we can build a better world." World mm-hmm. and and even though it took a long time to get there, like you know, to, and had to fight a civil war and and so well, even that you know, four hundred thousand Americans died in that civil war to re, to give freedom to this to slaves, and yet people look back at it and they ask, they don't, "Can you?" I'm not saying that every Union soldier who died there was uh, uh was uh, wasn't racist or wasn't uh and, and wasn't uh, anti-slavery right? it, but the vast majority were and that's where they fought and died for that to happen
2: mm. yeah well, I guess what one of the problems of CRT is that it just views any sort of discrepancy uh, in in numbers say maybe in in you know employment for instance uh you know there are less black people employed in this particular sector or whatever and they just see that as uh, as evidence of racism whereas there could be other there could be other reasons for those sorts of discrepancies
1: well
0: well that's right you know and, 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 and uh, this is the thing that gets get really frustrates me in that uh, they sort of they put people in boxes this is one thing about the civil rights movement and and the anti-slavery movements and that uh, is that, uh, that they, were fight, they were fighting against this of putting people in boxes they just wanted people to be treated as human beings and have all the civil rights all the legal rights of a citizen of whatever country they were in and to be treated decently and uh, with the what it's really funny how quickly we've gone backwards, you know, like uh, we all fought for this. You know, my older brothers and sisters, and I talk about that in the book with the, the, the 67 referendum and how they stood up and were not going to be accepted as second class citizens. Now we're saying, oh, because you're a a, a certain colour, you are either a privileged person and you're an oppressor or you are a a, a unprivileged person and oppressed I I had a this is probably my stupidity I was on Twitter and I got into an argument with a bloke uh, uh, and he said Warren uh, you know you're going to wake up one day and look in that mirror and you're going to realise that you are an oppressed person you know and I thought to myself gee if this is oppression then I must you know what what if they really hated me I, I just because it's just, to me, it's total nonsense, you know, because, you know, and you, you know, and these men, and as I said, they were the men who wrote that document, uh, they were uh, religious people too, so that's why God's all the way, through. they had this belief in that all people uh, are God's children, and we had to be treated as God's children, now that's, so how, how can then you, this vision that they they wanted to happen, and they slowly got there in the end. Because they, you know, post the 60s, all those things were gone. All those those laws and people, and you had uh, you know all these people. You know, we've had chiefs of the of, of the armed forces in the in the United States uh, uh, black Americans. We've had a uh, uh, you know we had a black Amer- American in, in the White House, and we've had these changes. We've had uh, we, this. In Australia, we've got the largest percentage of Aboriginal people in Torres Strait Islanders ever in in our in our uh, in our parliaments, and and we've had uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander judges, police, and so on. Uh, so this so this idea, because of your colour, which we fought against, you know, uh, leading up to to the 60s and 70s, uh, is now back in boat.
1: Well, do, 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 why do you, think you mentioned Twitter before, why do you think the language of CRT seems, seems so popular amongst the media class or, or a certain kind of uh, educated city dweller? Uh, because now I actually go a bit further as to say that I think you could go into uh, some NGOs, government departments, councils, or even the ABC and SBS and openly espouse some of these claims. Um, actually, there was an SBS article where they, they uh, gave a spirited defense of of uh, CIT and you got a name check in there
0: somewhere. I'm famous, either.
1: so yeah, that saying. But some of the claims <laughs> that you could say would be, you could say, at an, at an at a meeting, I'm sure, in some coded way, you could say that the explanation for all inequalities of outcome is racism. You could say. The fundamental organizing principle of society is is racism that benefits white people only, Uh, and you'd hear all these terms: privilege, equity, lived experience, systemic. You've heard all these terms, uh, I'm sure, ad nauseum. So why has this these these ideas taken off with a certain kind of with certain uh, people and organisations?
0: Well, I think that there's two things that I've noticed in society these days, And, and and one is like in my when I was in my early working years up until about 20 years ago, uh, the HR department it was really, really about just keeping records and, and, and making sure you got paid every week and, and we all had health and safety within the workplace. Now it's, it's one of the biggest sectors within co- corporate Australia where you had a handful of people working there uh, now you've got hundreds of people working. You've probably got more people working in there than the actual people who are out digging the roads and and making sure we get uh, we're getting uh, the hospital systems are working. And and I just I just find that quite bizarre. And also a, a good friend of mine, um, in fact, she's a very famous Australian. I won't mention her names, so, but she she rang me up one day and said she said Wait, we just put, brought in this this expert on diversity in that for our our company because we wanted to make sure that we're doing the right thing and, and 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 the person just come there and just and after about an hour just in through that entire hour just told them that they were all a bunch of white racists and uh and and and, uh, and she, she was shocked i said oh, i sort of laughed i said do you use this smart guys you just paid you know a zillion dollars for someone just to to abuse you and call you a bunch of white, white racists. I said, you could have gave me half that money and I could have said the same <laughs> yeah. thing in about 10 seconds. Well, you know? We
1: were saying this before the meeting, to be honest. I'm not outing you, Ricky, but Ricky did, was that, this happened to him. Yeah, right? this happened to me. Yeah. So you, you. Someone came and Politely told you all for two hours at your work that you were a bunch of no good racists, which might be true. I I don't know. I'm just saying that. that, 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 Yeah, yeah. Ricky, you might be there. (laughs) But but, 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 Warren, we were saying, why didn't you get the call up? Why didn't you, yeah, yeah, like get the call up to go and have a chat? Why are these people, you know, certain people only uh, doing this?
0: Well, the problem we're having in, in modern society is. That uh, and this is really bizarre because that, I find it was the most educated people. When you go out in the factories and 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 you go out in the mining and transport and, and construction industry where I I do a lot of work, people don't even know. If you said some of the things that they say to you, like one one person said, "Are you into are you uh, you know into sexuality and stuff?" and I and I didn't know what what they said. I said. Yeah, I mean, the sticks. What are you talking about? In fact, one of the people had a go at me on, on Twitter, this academic in the, in the university there, and, and it went, went on this, this, this big rant. And, and, you know, I read it, what she was saying about it. I didn't understand a word. Of hmm. what you were saying yeah, they use they all these it. terms they use all these things and, and if and if you don't understand it then obviously you're not that smart well i must have been the dumbest person in the world because i didn't understand the words she said in that paper
2: that's
1: how they want it warren
2: yeah so we wanted to uh talk a little bit about the indigenous voice uh to parliament um perhaps you could uh explain what w- what exactly that is and what does it mean in in, in practical terms so uh, you know what are the specifics of the current proposal, and also how uh, how is this different from constitutional recognition?
0: I, I think it it, it is a, a solution looking for a problem uh, in the in the sense that uh, as I said earlier, we've got more Indigenous people in Parliament, and we've got more, and in fact the next election there's heaps of Indigenous people who are running for Parliament within the the national, uh, the Liberal Nationals and, and, the, and the Labor Party, the Greens and so on, ever than ever we had. And, sat in, and I'm, every time I go down to Canberra, you know, I go down there just to annoy the politicians every now and again. is I'm, I'm tripping over Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders, all down there, knocking on doors, talking to people, just like the rest of Australia are doing. So this idea that Aboriginal people don't have a say or don't uh, 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 not listen to, I, I just feel... I find it pretty bizarre because when you look at the policy, I, I chaired the Prime Minister's Indigenous Advisory Council for for Abbott and for uh, for Turnbull, and and I and I'm just dumbfounded because it, through that process, we, you know, every everything I see that come out of government is in a positive step. To, to, to lift Indigenous people out of poverty, to lift their education standards, uh, to lift people in, in so many different er- areas, housing, health, and so on. And we spend billions and billions of dollars a year. But obviously, we're we just, you know, I, I include myself in this, because I'm a taxpayer and I'm Australian, is, is that, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 all we're doing, that's our white privilege, you know, of just wasting all this money. That, and, I, and I said, if these people were really racist, And 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 weren't listening to Aboriginal people, then how did they come up with all these policies? How did they come up with all this spending of money, which I thought could have been better spent, but they still at least they were doing it. And and, and yet they and I I laugh, I was laughing at a minister once I I said, you know at you, you just spent, you know, four billion dollars on Aboriginal people in the budget this year. And they come and and there's a demonstration at Parliament, and they said they called you a racist arsehole. (laughs) <laughs> I said, gee, you just, you just paid for, we thought, we, you, uh, you thought you were wasting money getting a lecture. This place just paid $4 yeah. billion dollars and he's still got abused, you know. That, that's an and expensive are, Yeah, and i and I've, <laughs> oh, and I've made this comment many times that you look at, and I've studied this, looking at uh, countries around the world, which has have race within their constitutions. They've all ended in disaster. You look at what happened in Fiji. They had about three coups, and now they got rid of all that uh, because you know, it was because all it was doing is setting races against each other. And 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 it it was you know and I just had a holiday in Fiji. You know, it was a beautiful, wonderful place. Is it perfect? There's no perfect country in the world because we're all human beings and, and, you, know, per, and we're, we're, uh, you know, we make mistakes and, and do things. And, but at least we've got structures that, that help us correct those things. You know, like if it wasn't for the Westminster system and the, the British legal system we inherited here, Yes, it was brought here and forced upon us, but we, we, me and you and everyone else is the inheritance of that. And even judges admit they're not perfect because why would you have it as an appeal system? Because they get it wrong sometimes.
1: <laughs> well, look, before we get into the criticisms, and we are going to get into all of them, and we also want to talk about some, some, some specifics, some cultural stuff as well that we, we, we need to understand better. But just to let's give, let's give the people who are, are all about the Indigenous voice uh, uh, a bit, uh, some credit and say, and say like what is it from your do you think that uh, how are that because this is an advisory body that they're trying to create that advises the parliament on specific indigenous uh, issues or issues that can concern the indigenous people as a whole and now could you come up with with or have you heard an ex, an, an ex, a concrete of ex, example of how that actually might work? Let's just say it go. It, the referendum happens and it goes through. What is a real issue that would come before this body and go through that process?
0: Well, just about everything will do that. Look, I, I don't have to be critical of the individuals in that who are in there because I, I know where the background come from. That was about the demise of ADSIC, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Commission, and and people were not happy that. There was this whole discussion about an Aboriginal body that was supposed to be providing services to Aboriginal people, and there was not one Aboriginal person in that room. And that's where it comes from. And that's a that's a valid criticism, and mm-hmm. I and I accept that valid criticism. I don't. And so, for instance, in regard to the legislation, I don't know any legislation in Australia that that uh, does not affect Aboriginal people. Mm. Uh, whether it's taxation, uh, whether it's industrial relations, whether it's in regard to uh, you know health, education, and and so on. Uh, look, uh, so I don't know how they're going to sort of bring that to a smaller number of things that will uh, that, that will be uh, that they will have to have a look at. So it's so um, I find that difficult for how they're going to do that for mm. one, and also they also it's an advisory. But once something in the Australian constitution, you got it there permanently, hmm. practically, you got it because most vast majority of uh, amendments to the constitution have failed in Australia. There's only been one really big standout, and that was the 67 referendum, because Australian people uh, wanted to get rid of their privilege and, and make us equal with them. <laughs> and so they voted that way in droves 90 something percent, the biggest vote ever, uh, did that. So I. Um, I do, I do have concerns because all we're doing is because I, as, as I am a conservative, all we're doing in uh, is, is, I'm not a, a great believer in large government, well, now we're going to have large governments again within the, within the, in, because when I sat and listened to Tom Calmer and uh, uh, gave a talk to the uh, the Australian business, uh, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry, which I'm in, they, 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 they explained to me and as I uh, we're going to need to have regional group to support the elected officials. Then we need, at the state level, we need uh, 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 advisors and everyone to support the people of the state. And then we, at the federal level, we need to have advisors. And to, oh, they kept on talking. All I could see was this huge structural bureaucracy being built. And all that money, as we know, uh, and in the productivity commission, the Australian Productivity Commission has mentioned it many times. Is that most uh, a lot of the money that's spent in Aboriginal affairs is not? It's spent in Canberra, in Sydney, Perth, and Melbourne, in the bureaucracies. It actually, it's not it's not getting to the ground.
1: Would it be easier to keep track in these meetings if we had a really loud ching sound every time someone added something? Like you know, <laughs> they added something and it would go ching, and then they go, what's yeah. that? And you'd say, well, that's you know.
0: And I'll give it an example of that. When I was appointed the chair of the prime minister advisory council, uh, we, did, we had 150 programs streams and, and we looked at it and then we said, so we told the, the, the broker to go and, and it was almost like this yes minister situation. So they went away and they come back and they're decent people. They've got a good heart, but they, you know, they come back and they had this documents. It was about, uh, uh, you know, about two feet high sitting on my desk. And I said, this is, th-. so I just walked in and I just, and I was being a, uh, I said, this is madness. So I just pushed that papers in the bin. And I said, okay, why don't we come up with this idea? And it's a crazy idea. Why don't we get those 150 program streams and put them into five areas, e- economic development, you know, jobs, businesses, and so on, uh, uh, ed- education and culture, health. And we just went along that line there. And you know that, what it did And this is what, when you work in the private sector, you you, you get to know this. You don't have to spend more money to fix something. You can sometimes actually spend less money. We save $56 million on paperwork just by doing that. Mm. One does... Paper fifty-six million dollars. So, so, and then we got pillowed. They said, "Oh, you, you, you know, you, you take, you're destroying all these programs. You, you're going from 150 to five. And I said, "No, we. Ha- uh, what we've done is is put it in a more workable mo- model, so we don't have people in these." Communities just filling out uh, compliance papers when they should be spending the money out there on getting the house fixed or getting so helping someone get through to school and that and that's what we we did anyway. After a couple of years, people realised what we did was right, uh, but they didn't they didn't come back and apologise. But that's not that we and this is this is the thing that I I don't get. And also once I get back to the constitutional part, once it's in the constitution, you can't get rid of it. Uh, Really, because under Australian uh, Constitution, you've got to have not only a majority of states and a majority of people for it to change. And there's been cases where there's been in Australia's history where we've had a referendum. The majority of people wanted to change, but it didn't get the majority of states. And so they couldn't change it. And so it's it's so what if it gets in? It doesn't work. Mm. We're stuck with it, and, and yeah. you know. So my thing is, if, if we're going to try this, and and, and you know, uh, then let's look at how uh, let's do it by legislation, and, and 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 then you can work out the bugs, the and, and everything in the system, and, and and make it work. So, so this is it, that, this is what my, my, my solution. If we're going to do this. This is what we should be doing, because once we put in that constitution, you just can't change it, and you're stuck with
2: it. Mm. Yeah. Well, the the, the thought that um that i've had that you know if if the voice is enshrined in the constitution and and if i'm understanding the the process correctly uh that will embed the idea of perpetual disadvantage in the australian psyche in a way like uh because what what happens when we do close the gap and and when the work is done you know i mean what what happens to the voice then um but now, now douglas murray has this idea that he calls saint saint george in retirement syndrome where it's the idea that um St George has slain the dragon and he spends the rest of his life swinging his sword at shadows and, and ever ever smaller threats, you know. Is that something that, that that could happen here where the voice to parliament would end up tackling more and more niche issues?
0: Well, we've got an example of it. Uh, you know, we uh, abolished uh, uh, le- legal racism in Australia in the late 60s and early 70s. And here we were 30 years later We've come up with race again, because and it's, and some of the things they talk about, which is racist, is 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 quite bizarre. In my time, you know, it, that we would not have considered that to be racist. Maths we,
1: is
0: racist. Uh, hmm? Maths is nah. racist now. Oh well, where did that come from? Oh, <laughs> and, and, and to make it fun, this is another thing. They don't know their history. They they haven't a shot at maths, and they look and they're looking at the mathematics. Oh, so, well, this is this is racist. is white privilege well it, you know who invented that it was it was it, it's it's got the name it, the numbers we have in, it is is called arabic yes. numbers mm. <laughs> you know so so i'm just there and go before you start uh, coming up with all this stuff actually you know do some research and do some study
1: mm. you've said that the proposal sounds uh, expensive like an expensive bureaucratic nightmare and that it's this is quote, uh, it's the typical public service approach of more red tape and over governing, as if uh, we've all, uh, we haven't had enough of that over the last few years. Aboriginal people have had enough uh, of that their entire lives. That really resonated with me. So yeah, you put forward a couple of heretical ideas here. The first idea that you've put forward is, is over governing, and the second is uh, that there's too much bureaucracy. So, so firstly, um, are Aboriginal people over governed? Um, uh, and perhaps you can talk about self-determination if you like, and then uh, uh, secondly, perhaps we can talk about um, uh, this idea of bloated bureaucracy, And and because and, uh, I tell you what, I think there's a lot of well-meaning people who won't like the idea of their paper pushing and comfortable gigs being taken away from
0: them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, what did Paul Keating say? Well, it wasn't him originally, but he, he took it. it was Jack Lang, who said it in the 1930s, he, you know, if if you got it, if you got to, if you had the races and there's a horse there called self-interest, put your money on it because at least it's going to try. Uh, and then <laughs> this is, and this this is true. You know, once you build something like that, it's very hard. To, if it doesn't work, or you're spending too much money when you could actually save some money, uh, it's very hard to get it get rid of it. You know, how, how many times has we seen in Australia over the last thirty years the uh, the bureaucracy just at state and federal levels just blown out massively and we're spending a lot of time we're doing it now during the covert areas some of it is justified but i think a lot of it isn't it's just this blown out bureaucracy that's happened and and then you try and change it and everyone starts to get put in the boot oh what you don't you know you, you don't like people getting educated you yeah. know what you know and, I, and i've spoken to doctors about this you know the health system is, is like you could get Tr- uh, truckloads of cash and just keep on pouring it into this furnace of health, and 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 it just doesn't make much. The service doesn't make much of a difference. Where the real issues of health are making a difference is in the laboratories and the, the scientific sections, of, you know, like Ansto and with nuclear medicine and other things. Like I had a heart operation in twenty twelve, and 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 it was through that nuclear medicine thing that saved my life because it was in, in, in uh, because prior to 1974 75 they would have just sent me home to die it, but with that operation I went from 24 hours later and they keep you in the hospital just to make sure you, you your, your stitches and everything's fine that's the only reason say you don't bleed to death on the way home uh, is is I went from that hospital 24 hours later and, and I was sitting at my desk working and this this is where this is where, where where the real health changes are being done. Building this huge bureaucracy, like what the states and the states and territories run health under our constitution. So why has the federal government got this big ballooning bureaucracy? You sort of ask that question. You yeah? know, their, their bureaucracy is just as big as what the states are, and yet the states are the ones in charge of hospitals and, and making sure their services are provided. And then you look at schools and you see the, the huge bureaucracy at the federal level again. Uh, and, uh, and 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 we know. And look at during COVID, we knew the, the the federal government couldn't do a bloody thing about health because the states were in charge of it. And we knew. And we and you see that in education as well. The states are in charge of education. The only area that uh, feds have a say is in, uh, is because they fund universities, but. But, but they're still owned by the states, and I just I just find I just find it, you know, we 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 got because the world, it is only in, in Western civilization a lot, because we we've, we've been so successful, we, our people live now longer, in Western civilization than they ever did in the entire history of humanity. Uh, we're healthier, even you know, uh, we uh, we uh, we have better housing. Housing and sewerage and water, uh, proper uh, proper plumbing and stuff like that has been the biggest. Any any doctor will tell you this it has been the biggest advancement in health in the history of humanity by separating water and sewage, living in a proper house that keeps you warm and cold depending on the year, and that's that saved more lives than anything.
2: Mm yeah well speaking of bureaucracy like whenever i hear indigenous issues being discussed in the media it seems to always involve either indigenous academic bureaucrats uh or indigenous performers say like whether they be musicians or actors or or playwrights or what have you um and let's maybe take the q a as as an example here They'll they'll often have an academic uh, a couple of parliamentarians uh, and and maybe a musician on the panel and on the face of it you might see that as being kind of balanced but there's a couple of issues firstly they all come from big cities uh, secondly they most likely receive money from the government via grants and that that's including musicians and actors and and what have you um and they're also mostly on the left uh, but we never hear the thoughts of businessmen or entrepreneurs uh people who have to compete in the marketplace to survive uh, survive out there in, in the real world. You know, I'd like to hear from an Indigenous Jerry Harvey or, you know, a, a another Indigenous, you know, the, the equivalent of the Jim's Mowing guy, you know. I mean, I'd, I'd like instead, to hear from...
1: Warren, from Now, I don't know if you know actors or musicians or poets, regardless of their race, oh, yeah, they that, are <laughs> drama queens.
0: <laughs> they they so are. That's who we hear from
1: on, on Q&A. I, that's
0: right. That's right. And you said uh, they try and balance it. But look at the the non-Aboriginal people on those panels. They're usually professors and doctors, Mm, Uh, uh, lawyers, you know, even the politicians who go in there, lawyers and have some uh, qualifications in the background. And then you look at the Aboriginal ones and you go, or if they do have, and especially the academic ones, they're the people that they, usually the people that go into these big corporations and spend an hour or two hours telling you that you're a white privilege and a racist arsehole. so. Some of them are yeah. to the left of Trotsky. Yeah, well, <laughs> boy, that's a big call. <laughs> but but it's true, you know. I, I um, uh, when I was a member of the Labour Party, I used to appear a lot on um the drum right? Actually, every week i appeared on the drum and then when my politics shifted in the mid uh to late you know 20 2014 to 20 uh, to now i haven't appeared on the drum since
2: mm-hmm.
0: so what happened in that period in fact i'm a very i don't want to boast but i'm a very successful businessman and and i export and i got i i own, I own, I own, I own get this I own mines and uh and, and businesses overseas which are on uh, registered on the london stock exchange and the new york stock exchange surely someone from my business if not me surely someone from my business should be asked to sit on that chair because he's uh, he's this aboriginal person who's who's you know who, who's sitting on, on the london and new york stock exchange
1: but i don't mm. understand this Warren. this this is driving me crazy like like um you know, I get the feeling that your views on Indigenous self-determination and your criticisms of, like, the bloated bureaucracy run counter to the orthodoxy of our institutions. I mean, like, mainstream media, ABC have to include that in there. We'd probably have to throw section swathes of the Labor Party and the Greens maybe holus bolus in there, too. Uh, you Look, you can see, you can almost see the pursed lips when you and or someone like Jacinta Price uh, speaks on, on, on Q&A. Now, um uh, I have a theory that the ABC and institutions like it, or universities, or whatever in Australia, basically everything except business has a stake in painting your views as fringe. Now, the question I have is, with your experience, you get around, you get all around. I mean, not globally, but all over Australia. You, you, you meet. Um, uh, uh, the average Indigenous person, obviously, it's you and your family, but but like everyone, do you think that your views are fringe in the ab- Aboriginal community?
0: No, you, 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 I'll give you an example. You know, you know the annual the annual uh, debate over changing the the date of Australia Day, right? Yeah, I was working in 2018. I was up in the um, Kimberleys in, in Kananara uh, filming Aboriginal businesses. Uh, this, and I'll tell you a funny story a little bit later about this. Uh, and, and, of course, the media going mad, ringing up for comments. So uh, they ring me and say, because uh, I'm one of these blokes who said, they said, right, look, I'd love to, you know, I celebrate Australia. I'm really proud of Australia but you know we could change the date but i'm not going to fight over it i'm going to die in a ditch over it and then i come up with the worst thing that an australian could d- do uh, and they should have bloody took my citizenship off me i said well why don't we move it to the, the first uh, the first of january which is when australia was created in 1901 and then i realized that oh my god that means we'll lose a public holiday and, and you know they should uh, so they should have just
1: <laughs>
2: that's
0: when they should have really cut me off you know they said yeah, mate you're deported we put you off on christmas island or something. but the thing that and so I, so they said well what do you what do you think and I, I said oh don't worry about me i said i'm standing here with 20 aboriginal business people we're just doing this uh doing this uh, tv thing of all places guy knew and uh, and uh, and I said I'll, I'll give it to them so I, I just gave the phone to them and I just passed it around and I asked all these questions and it come back to me and they said wow that was interesting and I said well, why and I said well just about every one of them I said who cares uh, they're more they're all more interested in uh, getting a job feeding their families and the only way you can do that is have businesses operating in your in your area uh, and we try because we know for government programs, it's been a dismal failure over 50 years and it that's not my words that's the productivity commission again talking about that and uh, and and uh, and and they were shocked They said "Gee, this they couldn't believe that they actually found a group of aboriginals uh, the majority of them not all of them there were some people who wanted the change the date that about that but the majority of them just their attitude was we don't care
2: Yeah, well, uh, Warren, I've got a personal story for you, and this is, you maybe shed some light on this and what what maybe the average uh, Indigenous person, Aboriginal person thinks about this, but I I have a son who's four years old, and last year he came home from daycare, from childcare, uh, telling us all about the Stolen Generation, and uh, he was, uh, understandably, a little bit confused by that. and we, we were aware that at, at his particular daycare, which is uh, which is a council run one, that uh, they were doing an, an an indigenous acknowledgement there. But uh, not until very recently were we aware that they're doing it every single day. Um, and to my knowledge, there's no indigenous children or staff at this particular place. Now, I suppose my my honest question is, what? what does the average indigenous australian want you know is a daily acknowledgement to country even actually a thing that that that, that we should be doing I, I don't actually know and and what age do you think kids should be learning about the stolen generation because personally i think that four was was just a little bit a little bit too early for me for my liking and you know, is any of this stuff going to improve the, the day-to-day lives of Aboriginal Australians in any sort of concrete ways? You know, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: Look, look I'm a great believer about history. You, you learn about history and it is what it is, you know, that you, you know, people have tried to change history, the stalinness of the world and, and, the, and all that, you know, and the, and the fascists have always done that, but, uh, but history is what it is. But what we're having today is it's fine to teach history and it's fine to do things but we've got an over em- emphasis in this area now to the detriment and we talked about it earlier about you know about STEM you know those subject areas we're falling behind massively in, in, in compared to the rest of the world you know they've virtually given up teaching um Nuclear physics at universities in Australia now. Uh, addy Patterson is is the director of ANSTO, which does all that marvellous ne- uh, medical science, and nuclear science stuff that saves in Australia alone saves 200,000 lives a year. They'd be dead if it wasn't for it, and millions of people globally. Uh, it's, uh, and, and, and that's just dropped off. In fact, you, you can't even get maths. You find it very difficult to get maths and, and uh, 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 even the woke maths you get taught. It's, it's just very difficult to get them in <laughs> science. It's just um, it's just bizarre. And here was because they do very well. They, they can They own about 6% of the global medicine marketplace, which is, when you think about it, Australia, organisation like ANSA, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And so that has that, that, been decades since they've actually received government funding because they just create their own money. He was working on the idea of, of actually, how do we support the teacher Because you can't change the structure at the moment. So How do you, the teachers that are there in there, whether they're English teachers, history teachers or whatever, how do you support them in their STEM subjects? and sponsor gets people to sponsor working with them and supporting them and having a, an applied science approach so so for kids that's you know hands on so they can actually touch and feel and smell these things and then using technology to zoom into these regional and remote areas uh, and so you got you got the support me- mechanism place to help this teacher in the classroom teaching maths and, and science and then you have this uh, a, a expert in Sydney or perth or wherever who can then zoom in, in in the classroom and be teaching thousands of kids all at once while the teachers in the rooms going around showing them how to do working on the supply side so now so to me it's about we you know we, we teach history we teach all that that's fine i'm I, i'm a i'm a, i'm a lover of history uh, it's, it's helped shape my mind and you know my thinking and you know, you go nothing better you go overseas and you meet another person And uh, the difference between us is about that Uh, out of all this, the rest of it, we're all the same. You know, we love our kids. We want to feed our kids. We want to have a job. We want to get our kids educated. And and, uh, yes, and the cultural stuff is quite, is the fun stuff as well. You're learning other cultures, you're learning other languages and you're having a whole lot of fun. Uh, but uh, I think there's this this too too much uh, too much emphasis. Yes, we're going to need to learn these things, but we don't cast that the stuff that keeps civilization going.
1: <laughs> Before we run out of time, you mentioned uh, history and culture, uh, and I think that um, perhaps there's a story that I got from your wonderful book. Actually, that I think I wouldn't mind if it's okay for you to recount. The story of the three sons for us,
0: uh, what the uh, the yes, legends. 20. Yeah, yeah, that, that's quite. It's it's very. It's it's about the foundation of our nation, and every kid uh, we've learned it. Uh, from my living memory I, I, my uncles and that taught us these stories. My my auntie Long, her uh, uh, she was born in eighteen ninety, something like that. My grandfather was born in eighteen eighty six or something like that. So they had this. So I not only got that. It was it was this history thing for me because. I, I am, in two, my generation, my father's generation, my grandfather's generation, we go back to 1886. And the, and so I know people who were born in that period and they talked about that life mm. as, a, as a living experience. But in regard to the to Three Brothers, what it is is the story goes that the, these Three Brothers and their wives and, and in-laws come and uh, landed down the mouth of the Clarence River, uh, uh Bar. and uh, so... And then they went, got food and and everything. And they and, she, and the mother-in-law went off wander, wandering about and got lost. And so they couldn't find her. So they that oh, so they got on the boats and, and and started to leave. And so they she, um, uh, sung and and screamed to the sky and and uh, the oceans rose and they had massive storms that forced them back uh, to to onto the land and uh, they. Stayed there and they met the they found their mother-in-law and and then they, uh, they lived there for a while and then they started decided that they'd move the four uh, three different directions so they, one son went north with, with his group uh, one son went west which is I'm a descendant of and the other son moved south and uh, and that, and that's the story of our of our finding and our and where we come from. In fact, it's, I think uh, someone told me once it's the only Aboriginal foundation story that actually talks about people coming from somewhere else.
1: That was what was striking to me. It was the first time I'd ever. I was like, I, I read it, and because I've had one, one kind of education, I was like, wait a minute. I was like, in this story, the, the brothers come come to the land, and I was like, wow. That, and I thought that was a uh, yeah, that was a first for me. Yeah,
0: well, it is it, to me. Of course, when you grow up, it was pretty natural, but but but. I notice when I go to other groups around the place and listen to their foundation stories because I have a very close uh, relationship with uh, the Yungle up in North East Arnhem Land, but my brother went up there, much to the horror of my parents because he was the first of our family to go to university, He studied economics and then after five years working in the corporate world he just quit and left, which didn't surprise us kids because he was always into art. You know, ever since we knew, well, this is just in fact, you can go to my father's house. Well, it's my brother, he's got it now, but and you go into garages, garage, and the art that he didn't get in that garage is still there. And he went up there, he wanted to learn more about art and how to, how, how to create curate it and stuff like that. And of course, to go into these communities, you have to be because it goes into the, into the universe, you have to go into the universe, and the universe is divided in two Dua and Uraja. And uh, and you don't exist if you're not in that, but obviously you do exist because I can touch you and feel you. So they ha- so they so they go through this process of saying, okay, where does this bloke come from? How does he fit in? And, he, and they went for that process. He fitted in, and I had this great cultural experience from that. In that uh, uh, they were famous artists up that way. Some of the most famous artists in Australia, and. Uh, and they'd come through Sydney to go off over for an exhibition or a dance. They were very good dance companies and that. And and then they it was really interesting because they'd ring me up and they go, "I'm John's brother," and I go, "Oh, okay." So uh, so I said, "Where are you at?" And I said, "Oh, it's international airport. Can you pick us up? Our flight doesn't go out until the next day." And I so said, "Jump in the car and off I go." Some of them are a bit cheeky too, because they, you know, because it wouldn't coming from the bush. They thought, oh, we're in Sydney now, so we want to go to the nightclubs and all that stuff. So <laughs> then, they, so they grabbed me And, of course of this obligation I had because I was the uh, younger brother. Yes. That uh, that that. I found myself going, going to these nightclubs, and oh God, I wish these places go to sleep. Drink, drink,
1: <laughs> drinks on Warren. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: but they were very good because they had that reciprocal process. I, I got some beautiful art work at my house, and and carvings and paintings uh, that uh, they they gave to me as gifts for for me hosting them. Yeah,
2: it's wonderful. Well, Warren, well, we, we are conscious of time, and and it seems as though we've got got to the end of the interview here. Um, just a, a little note here: where can people follow or read your work? Like, uh, can can they find you online?
0: Yeah, they, I'm I'm just rejigging stuff now because in uh, I've been approached by the CIS because Jacinta Price is now running for Parliament. I hope she gets there, uh, and uh, so I've taken up that role, but I haven't taken it up full time because I'm still doing business and. So I bu- built this team there, and, uh, and, uh, and it's been a dream of mine about, okay, we've got all these people over here, like the Critical Race here, all these other people, and they build resources. And, yeah, I give it to them. They, they've always got resources. Got they're industrious. Hmm. Yeah, industrious. They're crazy, but they're so, very so, so, industrious. So I give them the dues, and so I I plagiarize some of their stuff. in, in that, I co- I, co- I said, okay, this is what they do on Twitter. This is what they do. So I got the CIS to, to do that. So you'll see on, on social media now. Like, for instance, one of the things about the coalition and the conservatives is that they don't, they don't song, do song and dance about what the, their achievements. So like yeah. this one person said to me, they said, oh, we didn't have the voting rights before 67 and and, uh, and, and, and took off with them, ran that. And I said, well, Goff with them didn't run that. He didn't come until 72. and and two, uh, Aboriginals had the in, uh, had the voting rights. It was Menzies in 1962 who gave full voting rights. So I come, so I got this photo of Menzies. We did up this little meme and just put it out in 1962, the Menzies' coalition government gave full voting rights to Aboriginal people. Now, if that was a person from the left, the Labor Party especially, we'd have a public holiday, we'd have, we'd have <laughs> con- concerts, we'd have a movie yeah. starring Denzel Washington as me, <laughs> and then you'd have all this incredible <laughs> stuff that's going on. And, and, and I said, you know, when I talked to older coalition members, they didn't think about that because they thought it was just natural that Aboriginals had voting rights and they mm. just did it. So, so I put, dropped those things out, and it was really amazing because within four years of the 67 referendum here, we had uh, Senator Neville Bonner. In I, I'm going to work on a campaign. You know, in the middle of the federal parliament, they've got that little area where the water runs down where the politicians try and separate themselves from the general public, the general public's at the top, and they mm. I'd like to see a statue of to yeah. recognise... Mm. Uh, in fact, I'm I'm actually working on a documentary, an hour-long documentary, you know, pulling a team, to, an Aboriginal team together, and we started our production work on Monday uh, to, to talk about his career, his life. And, and, of course, like every life, it has warts and it has great... Ma- and one of the things in the research we're doing, I, I actually was shocked to discover that he didn't, didn't have a formal, a real formal education.
1: Hmm. That's how they used yeah. to do it Yeah. Whereas yeah.
0: Now... yeah. 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 Amazing, amazing guy, amazing guy, and I thought, I thought, if it was the Labor Party person who was the first in Parliament, then they would have, they would have had that statue in gold.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, Warren, I, I I'd just like to say that I feel like the the things that I've gotten from you, particularly reading your book, which I, I know I've, I've plugged a bit today. I, I thought it was extraordinary, uh, and it, it was, it was a great, uh, great, great um, political commentary as well as. Your your particular insights, which which as I've said are unorthodox. but I think that the things that I've gotten from a lot of your writing, what I really love is, it's I get this i the tension between uh, between apology and forgiveness, yes. and this tension between um, modernity and tradition, yes. and what links it all together is, you know, don't focus too much. Well, those things are, are the context we live in. But at the same time, don't think about it so much. Get the kids to school. Track yes. the data. Like, you know, get rid of some of these goddamn bureaucrats and, yeah. and get down on the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, one of the things that, and also some life experience, I was uh, like, when I went to school, the teachers stand at the front of the class and say, Warren here, tick, red here, tick. George, where's George? I was homesick. and that and they have a, a little a book of records. And what and one of the things that we were concerned about, say like if you're in a community, in these remote communities, that kids attending school is really low. Uh, we said so 50 kids turn up on Monday, and 50 turned up on Tuesday. Are they the same kids, or they're the different kids? Because we know you've got to do at least 80 you've got to be at school at least 80% of the time, up to 90% of the time, otherwise it's really difficult to, to get an education. And, and, and you see it, we looked at the, again, the productivity, I'm really, I love the work, the Productivity Commission, because it's just sort of like, it just drops it out there and you do what you like with it. But. These are the facts and figures, and you just and you and you look at it. And it's it's quite fascinating reading, which probably means I need to get a life. Who wants to read a productivity document? But anyway, <laughs> well, but and that's should... <laughs> why
1: it's interesting because you actually read the note, yeah. You Look at the numbers, whereas yes. people are too yeah, busy sitting thing. around saying anyway, two plus two equals racism, and you're like, forget that. Look at the like, did jo- did George go to school? You yeah. Know? Well,
0: you know, I, I, I wish I was a banker with them and I, I could make a bit of money out of them, yeah, two <laughs> plus two, it makes me happy. Uh, and so, 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 But the thing is, we didn't know, because, and, and and because the federal government doesn't have any powers, and so we went to the state governments and said, can, can we get data on this, can we work out, is it the same 50 kids? And then we get, because it wasn't, we didn't have some, there's nothing, I think you're evil too, we didn't have some evil plan. What it was is, then we could identify. Say, what if these kids who aren't attending it from this couple of families? Then we can target those families and get the support mechanisms in place so the kids could get to school and get an right. education. Mm, and yeah. and you can't do that with our data and knowing who those kids are. So that that for a long time they refused to give that information over to us. They gave us every every excuse under the sun, and and, and I understand why some of the territories are like that because their funding arrangement uh was that it is how many kids are at school so what they used to do very smart you know people are very in, uh, smart about doing day one which is enrollment day they get all the kids in the school so there'd be 100 kids at the school and so they got funded for 100 kids but for the rest of the year they only got 25 right. 30 mm. 25 50 yeah. and you sort of go so th- it's not so, so and also we've got to stop looking at processes you know We've got to start at outcomes and and focus, and because that does two things. One, one you you have got a target and a time frame you've got to meet. So people and the people are held responsible for that. And the other thing too is by not focusing so much on the process, you actually get innovation because you you get people are able to get innovative because you say to them, you've got to make this target by this date, and they go, okay. So how do we do the process? That's your business. You've got to be successful. And then you got these people come in the room and they play and they come up with ideas and stuff like that. But you know, I have I have all these crazy things. I'm actually writing another book at the moment. It'll be out by the end of the year, hopefully Ooh. at Christmas. And and as a working Can
1: title, we have I you t- back it, to talk about that?
0: Yes, yeah, it was yeah. A lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Mm. So it's going. I'm using the working title um, uh, Indigenous Capitalist. So we'll see.
1: That's what I was going to call this
2: episode.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great minds think alike. There you
2: go. <laughs> well, you're uh, you're such a busy man, it seems, Warren. So thank you so much for all your time today. And yeah, we'd love to have you back on uh, to talk about the next book.
0: Yeah, well, it's good. And it's, it's really about how you create, again, you're looking at innovation. So it's how do you create the environment for things to happen uh, so you have economic prosperity and stuff like that. And I'm uh, looking, and most people, you know, this is another problem too, most people, if they're Indigenous academics, I'll go to another Indigenous academic and they'll just compare notes of it. I did that as well. You, you go and you talk to Indigenous academics and you talk to Indigenous academics across the globe. Uh, but I was fascinated by things like South Korea, like in 1952, after the South, uh, the Korean War, people were eating grass and mm. starving, but by 1968, they were a first-world economy. So how now, did you go- we've,
1: now we've got BTS, that band, you know, that that, mm. uh, that band of attractive men that uh, is is coming out of Korea. You know, to- yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, well, yeah. Uh, I, I you know people said I should have been on stage too they said first stage out of town but the uh, they <laughs> it's but it's so I looked at that and I looked at Japan you know the minji restoration about okay, they they saw China and I saw the rest of the world being forced colonized by by Europeans in, in in the in the new world and they said okay how do we stop this happening to us very really smart so they they got rid of the Shogun, he was, didn't have to have a war, they just went up, knocked on the palace door and said, look mate, we need you to retire, we want to bring the Emperor back. And they said, yeah, sure, off he went. And then and the Emperor come and and they and then they said, okay, how do we set up a legal system? So they went to the world and looked at different legal systems. And then they, how do you set up um, a, a businesses, and they were very clever about it, and they, and, they, and they just went out and they sent people, the, the big mistake they made was that they, how do you set up an army and in, in, they went to the Prussians, of course, and <laughs> the Prussians made good, very good fighters. But you know, it's it's a um, you know, most people say a, a country's got an army, well, Prussia, Prussia is is, uh, is is an army that's got a country. Yeah.
1: Well, the message is is essentially about in in a, being open to new ideas, innovation, yeah. and looking yeah. outside and bringing the best in, and not not mm. rejecting it based on ideology or anything like
0: that. Yeah, that, yeah well, that's right. This idea, right. when you talk about racist math, you know, they didn't think about that. you I know, think. That they, that they were thinking that does it meet the standard and the standard is one two plus two equals four and then you ask why and that's what science is science is a question you know you sit and go well this the sun comes up in the morning and it goes down in the evening why
1: and those, those <laughs> things from modernity don't, won't necessarily extinguish the culture you know like no, it like doesn't if something hmm. works and yeah. something improves your life doesn't mean that you'll lose your stories in your language and, and necessarily. Yeah.
0: No, no, it doesn't. In fact, uh, in, in Australia, because of the early recordings, they did, uh, of, of Aboriginal languages around Sydney, you know, uh, they were, uh, you know, they through technology and advancement, you know, there's 5,000 Aboriginals in New South Wales now who were learning languages that were, 10 years ago were dead. And and this is technology mm. and this is improvement. This is so, and then you so that, it would have died. It would have disappeared forever if it wasn't for technology of that science. And one of the greatest moments I had in my life, I went down to uh, the IATSIS, the Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies, which is sort of like the, the Doyen of of the, the guardian of all this knowledge for for thousands of years. And I sat there, and a friend of mine said to me, he said, he said, "Just come down here," and I said, "Oh, yeah." So, and he gave me these headphones, and I put he put it on, and uh, and it was. Because I'm I'm one of eleven kids, I'm number nine, and my father was number nine of twelve kids. So his older brothers I, I never knew; they died before I was born. And and here I just heard stories about. Him. And here he was I was listening to my uncle Richard, a man i never met, I've only seen in photos, talking in English and and, and talking in Bunjilung language, and then explaining it. And that was just to hear his voice was quite moving. And that's technology, that's science.
1: Well, I think we should probably end on that hopeful note. Uh, uh, and I just want to say, Warren, it's been a pleasure, and if you'll excuse the pun, a privilege. <laughs>
0: well, I, am a, I, am a, I have Irish blood, so I'm very privileged. <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's true.
2: Excellent. Well, thank, thanks, Warren. Thank
0: you. Thank you.